This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Sig Sauer. My guests today, that's guests plural, are Stephen Pressfield and Clint Smith. Now, we recorded this podcast back in May of 2020 when Stephen Pressfield and I headed up to Thunder Ranch in Oregon to train with Clint Smith. And if you have not made that pilgrimage to Thunder Ranch, I highly encourage you to do so. Get out there, get on the range, train with the legend. And of course, Stephen Pressfield is the author of The Legend of Bagger Vance, Gates of Fire, and his latest, A Man at Arms. I also highly recommend his series of books on creativity, Do the Work, Turning Pro, The War of Art, absolutely fantastic. Clint Smith's latest book, Urban Rifle 2, is available now on the Thunder Ranch Inc. website. So be sure to check them out, follow them on all the social channels, and enjoy this roundtable discussion. So now, without further ado, Clint Smith and Stephen Pressfield. So this is Jack Carr. I'm here with Clint Smith of Thunder Ranch and Stephen Pressfield, author of Gates of Fire, Legend of Bagger Vance, The Afghan Campaign, The War of Art, The Authentic Swing, Turning Pro, Do the Work, and many, many others. So Many others. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we've been out here for the last couple days. And yes, about sir. a month ago, uh, Stephen and I were on a Instagram live and we got to have a great conversation for I think what was supposed to be 15 minutes turned into 30 or 45 or something. We just had a great, great time and uh, got to know each other a little bit and then started talking about preparedness, especially in this time of, uh, of COVID-19 and now in this time of civil unrest and, and all the rest of it. And, uh, and Stephen asked me, um, hey, if, uh, what do you think about firearms? And if I wanted to learn a little bit more about them, where should I go and who should I talk to? And I said, there's only one person. And that is Clint Smith at Thunder Ranch. Who is that guy? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's not civil unrest, okay? It's burning and looting. There we go. Uh, <laughs> stealing other people's things, okay? Things I guess like you could, that. That's would be that politically correct nomenclature, civil unrest. I think so. Good. I think so. And uh, or anything that might come sure. our way. Protests. Right. Not, yeah, I'm just being honest. Uh, yeah, depending on which disasters. side you look at. Yeah, it could be anything. So, yeah. so I said Clint Smith Thunder Ranch and gave a call, and we figured out when Oregon was opening back up again. Uh, in the midst of uh, COVID, and it opened up. When did Clint? When did, did uh, Oregon open back? Um, it opened up, I think, the fifteenth of oh May, and it was a little theoretically a little earlier for the eastern counties. Okay, like you know, there's people out in the Tulis, the I five corridor people. Uh, fortunately, still had to stay in a little longer. But yeah, I'm just being honest. You know me. So here we are. So I do. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, I do. That's good. And uh, and. So we opened back up in the middle of the month, and here we are a couple weeks later here right. in Oregon and uh, going through the paces. So uh, I guess I'll kick this off first off by asking uh, Stephen, I want to let you also ask some, you have some wonderful questions that I think are more geared towards, towards Clint since we had some wonderful conversations <laughs> while we've been here. But uh, I want to start off by asking you, uh, how did your experience over the last couple days uh, differ from what you thought you might be stepping into as you drove up here, as you took the two days to, ah, to drive through California yeah. and here into Oregon? I, I tell you, I think the most um, impressive thing is Clint himself. And uh -oh. his, his personality and his mm -hmm. whole point of view. I mean, I've been out of the Marine Corps for like 50 years. The last time I don't have a weapon of any kind, I never have. I haven't touched anything in, you know, in, in that time. And so 
being here with Clint, he is a Marine. I don't care how many <laughs> years back it's been. And and uh, I, I hope when uh, when this episode is over that people watching will really get a sense of who Clint is. But that's a it's been a tremendous just meeting you, Clint, you know? Thank you. And experiencing uh, your point of view, your attitude, your enthusiasm, your passion. A little, rough, mention, little rough around the edges. No, no, <laughs> not a rough at all. Yeah. So that's that's really been the big thing. Of course, you can never prepare for that because you don't know who's, you know, yeah. what's going to be. But I, I, I was hoping that Clint would turn out to be who he is, <laughs> and he did. Exceeded all expectations, <laughs> yes. as always, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and Clint, what was your uh, expectation of having Stephen Pressfield? Obviously, we all know uh, who Stephen Pressfield is. And then driving up here from Malibu, California, a right. little different part of the world. Right. Uh, what, uh, how, I, how's the last couple of days I, been? I, no, I've really, we've been, I think we've got hit it off. I mean, we're both leathernecks, so you, you get that. In it. You kind of never aren't a Marine, you know. And so the, um, uh, that said, you know, he is in a slightly different world with no disrespect intended or implied. It's just, you know, he's a writer. He's been writing all his life. Uh, he writes many things, of course, that are great. You know, Gates of Fire was one of the, you know, the greatest things that, that you know, um, we've read and that, like, you know, I had Heidi Reed. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the the one of the Amazons, the warrior. Women. Last of the Amazon. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. Last of the Amazon. So I think it's um, been really good for both of us. Um, you know, there's a degree of civility here, you know, where I have a tendency to kind of, you know, okay, great, here's the drill. I teach gunfighting, I don't teach finger painting. Okay, so like, I got it, I'm a little rough. I, oops, sorry I said that, you know, uh, but um, yeah, I, I know what my job is and my job is because he has an interest. Um, he and um, his hot girlfriend, you know, the deal with it is, is I think um, it's more of an eye opener and it's not a sales pitch, I don't sell stuff. What I wanted him to do was to get, shall we say, not necessarily back in the saddle, but I wanted him to, okay, great. You need to understand there are options. You can, where you live, you know, have a firearm. It's okay to defend yourself, but I'm not saying you need to. I, you know, you've, we were talking about it today. You know, um, we've both reached an age now where, you know, if you haven't used a firearm, then you should be probably smart enough to avoid doing it at our age. Uh, in other words, you guys like, have the wisdom. You guys yeah, can, just, can do that. If you got this I'd be, I'd be, far, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. I'd be disappointed okay. if you found yourself in a gunfight next week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then the other side of the coin is we don't really know. It's like, you yeah. know, we were talking about family vacations and gunfights that never come out the way you plan them. And I think life sometimes is that way too. You never know exactly where you're going to be. So the whole idea was I wanted to create for him um, and this guy and I wanted to create a platform so they could look, they could observe, they could try. I want them to make decisions now based on actual experience rather than hearsay. And as you know, with today's world of social media, everyone's an expert and everyone, well, you should, you shouldn't, you might, you could, you know, if you do, you shoot yourself and no, don't poke your eye out and all the other stuff. So I think it was important for him to just, um, for them to get, okay, great, look, this is it. This is what it does. Uh, we explained a lot of things about things that are misrepresented today. For example, you know, uh, well, that's an automatic weapon. Well, actually it isn't, okay? This is an automatic weapon, <laughs> okay? Oh, yeah. And uh, of course, we can do that uh, and do all of that stuff, of course, completely legally. But I just wanted to be able to make 
Yeah. Good decisions based on experience. And we didn't just talk about up here firearms. There's no. other things we did. We, I mean, we did some great history lessons as well. The uh, history of 1911. Then we talked about history of some military firearms from the, Civil the War arms to, forward. Uh, to, to, to Custer's Last Stand, Little Bighorn, to huh. San Juan Hill, and then into World War One, World War II, uh, Korea, Vietnam, and up to today, really. Right. So we did. I uh, had, had some history lessons. And then we talked about preparedness in general. So some of the things that weren't firearms related, that uh, that we talked about while we're here. Did you are you going to take back some of those lessons with uh, the fire extinguishers and medical yeah. and, and that sort of thing? In many ways, that's you know almost as made as deep an impression mm -hmm. upon me as the other things. And also, one of the things that Clint said, we we're talking about uh, what if you are in a confrontation or in, a, in your home or something like that. That he said, you know, get out the back door. You right. know, the the whole thing is to to survive. Yeah. So that it's. That opened my eyes to a couple of things too, you know? Yep, no, absolutely. So I think that triad that we talked about is very yeah. good. Communications, you know, you need to be able to talk and, and movement, make and break contact. So it might be a wiser decision with our seniority involved. If I can break contact, you know, it, it's just it's just straight up honest. You know, you're not gonna roll around in the dirt with an ex-felon, you know, that's 25 years old and looks like a linebacker for the grand. I mean, when you have a heart of a lion, I already know that. I mean, from what we write, what he writes, you know, we got that part. Um, you know, your books are based on your life experiences to the best of your ability with all the- <laughs> Redactions. Like redaction, yeah, right. And <laughs> his is not gonna be so much impaired, but you're, you're impeded with, but that's cool. And so that yeah. that's kind of what you're looking for. Yeah, and we had some great conversations the other day about your, uh, is it gonna be a podcast or is it a series of ah, interviews? Or I think yeah. we're, we're figuring out what that's gonna be, but uh, the warrior archetype. Yeah, it's um, going to be a series of interviews about that's ca called the Warrior Archetype. It's one of the reasons that I want to talk to you, Jack. You know, and what I'm hoping to do is start with like, uh, well, let me see if I can try to say it another way. A lot of people, I think, in our society today, think of themselves as as warriors, even though they're not necessarily fighting and killing the enemy or something. I'm thinking of extreme athletes or just regular athletes that are you know, uh, uh, CrossFit type mm -hmm. of athletes or things like that, corporate executives, right. doctors, first responders, law enforcement, people like that, writers that have a kind of a mindset that there's an enemy, an enemy within mm -hmm. or an enemy without, and that, and that enlist certain warrior virtues, uh, selflessness, courage, patience, willing embrace of adversity, that kind Just of thing. And, uh, and, and, and I'd like to kind of track that in this series from the ancient Spartans through Alexander the Great, the Macedonians, the Romans, et cetera, et cetera, into the present day. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Clint, as well as to you, is in fact, I'll ask you, Clint, because uh, you really, do you think of yourself as uh, internally now, metaphorically, or even externally as a warrior? Um, I. First of all, I'd like to say that I think sometimes the word is, and definitions are abused. Uh huh. I would agree with that. You know, when people, everyone's a hero now, you know, but I think it's part also of the culture that you're trying to address is that, you know, okay, everybody's a winner. You know, even though you came in third, you get a trophy. Uh, I kind of have like my bullshit meter kind of registers on that. I I understand where people are going. You know, we want everyone needs to get a group hug, um, but 
Um, so to answer your question directly, no, uh-huh. I'm, I'm not. I, I've done some things, some things good, some things bad. Uh, I think that if I work... There goes my theory. <laughs> no, so I think towards the, if I go towards the end, but I'm going somewhere with this where I think you'll get it. Uh-huh. I don't know that I would do the idea that I'm a warrior. You know, I'm 71, um, but I can be a teacher of warriors. Uh-huh. I think I can create new warriors. I think I can take a housewife so she's not in fear in her own home. Now, is that a warrior in the definition of getting in an Abrams tank? Maybe not. But can I make her so she's not fearful in her own home? Can I make her smart so she, you know, like knows how to take care of her children? Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know that I'm like a warrior in the sense of like, I think maybe my yeah. place here at the table, so to speak, is to teach new warriors. You know, I've always made a comment to you about the tip of the spear. Personally, I think the tip of the spear in many cases is in cemeteries. Mm-hmm. They've been uh-huh. killed. I mean, if it's close combat and we close and, you know, we're all throwing stuff, a lot of people on both sides die. I don't say good or bad. I don't even pick a side. I'm just saying that happens. So I think that my job is to address and and repolish and resharpen the sphere to the best of my ability. I mean, I can't necessarily do anything for dev group. I can't necessarily do anything for, but, you know, at the same time. Um, now, if yeah. I can butt in on you, yeah. Clint, the way I would see what you what you just said, and we were talking about that the other day, Jack, mm-hmm. is sort of, it's a question there. When you think, of, when I think of the warrior archetype, I think of it usually as happening in a certain, a certain stage of life, right. say Correct. from, you know, 17 to 28 or something like right. that. And at that point, I think a person matures and kind of moves beyond to the next. And I think you are actually now, if we're thinking of like Jungian archetypes, you're in the, in the, in the realm beyond teacher into kind of, if you'll forgive me for saying this, into sage or something like that. And so you're, you're now passing on the, the, uh, the lessons that you've learned. To the best of my creating a next I mean, generation. Right. And you're also like, when I said that coming up here and meeting you, was the, the real impact for me in addition right. to the content we got. That's what I was responding to. Right. Was you as a kind of, a, you know, a, 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 a sage like, a, you know, the, the salty old gunner Yeah, the, sergeant, yeah, the, you know, the old the man on the mountain. Right, there, right, yeah. That's done it, you know, and right. it inspires, inspires others. And, yep. and Jack, I think you're the same way, kind of not all the way where Clint is because you're a young father and husband and, and starting out on your career. But uh, to me, you are using the virtues that you learned in the SEALs. We were just talking now about tourniquets and yeah. and and uh, preparedness, and you whipped out, you've got the kit for the car, you've got the kit, you have the nitroglycerin, you just saved a guy that had a heart attack. And so that, to me, is a warrior virtue of preparedness, of situational awareness, that kind of thing that you're now using in the next stage. You're a civilian writer, you know, uh, but but you're building on that. This is what I'm, my interpretation. Yeah. Tell me if I'm wrong. You're building on the kind of the foundation that that you gained in that in that phase yeah. of being a, being a literal warrior. Now you're an internal warrior and in. in and yeah, then, no, I think that's yeah. that's accurate. It'd be very uncomfortable for me to drive around in a car that that didn't have a med kit, or to know that uh, our house didn't have 
those fire extinguishers or that the kids didn't know where to go if there was chaos, like where we were going to meet. Like I would just, those, that foundation needs to be taken care of so my bandwidth can then work on writing. And I I think that's really important not to interrupt, but the idea is in today's world, depending on which side of the fence you are, many people would see us, you're coming here and looking at things, your decades of service and now what you do, they would see that as the med bag as paranoia. In other words, oh, you go and you have a gun, what are you afraid of? That's true. And see, the problem with that is, is there is a balance between paranoia and preparation. I always say to my students, how many of you have a spare tire in your car? When's the last time you used it? Now, does that make us paranoid or does that make us prepared? And so, you know, there is that balance to have a med kit um, and, you know, people go like, well, there's not going to be what is shooting. And I go, okay, great. How about you're running a chainsaw and it comes through the log? You know, how about you like running a saw and chop your finger? You know what I mean? Anything. It isn't, yeah, it isn't just about like, hey, we're all going to get guns and shoot the place oh, up. No. You know, it, that's another thing when we talk about this weird thing to the degree that we're looking at. People assume that this is all about like, okay, there's going to be a war we're all going to shoot. That isn't always the issue for people who've actually been in war because people who've been in war generally don't want another war. You know, it's like uh, the scrawny little kid, you know, from Florida holding his fist up going revolution. Really? Have you ever seen a revolution? So every time you flush the toilet, every time you open a door, every time you, you know, like take a step downstairs, you got to watch to make sure both your legs blown off. We should be very guarded to be careful what you ask for. Okay. And people here in this country don't know revolution. Our last real episode with that was the civil war. And, you know, more people died of dysentery than died of gunfire. Okay. So like, it isn't like a civil war, like we're all going to shoot. You know, the pandemic has kind of brought that to the surface as far as, oh, crap, other bad things can happen and it doesn't have to be a war, like in the sense of war, like bombs falling from the sky. You know, there, there, are, there, there are other things that we would need to consider, I think. Uh, but that's just my, you know, my opinion setting back over here. So, you know yeah. What I'm saying? so yeah. No, and I think it's my responsibility and it's a, as, a, as a citizen and then as a husband, as a father, to make sure that the kids know where to go in that emergency, that right. we have those fire extinguishers. And I learned this from Clint years, uh, years ago when, when he said, well, do you have a fire extinguisher and, and in every, on every floor of the house so the kids know how to use it? Why don't you go outside? I'd build a fire for them and have them put it out. And then that's a, it's great fun. And then the, you know that uh, the first time they're going to do that isn't in an actual fire that's threatening their lives. Um, so all those things for me just need to be covered and it's a very natural thing to do. It would be very unnatural to not do those things. And uh, so I try to pass that along to the kids too so that they'll be good citizens and be able to pass that down to their kids and just be prepared and be ready and have that foundation built so they can apply their bandwidth in a positive, productive direction. So if something happens, they're not scrambling at the last second using all their bandwidth just to survive. Make sure they have something to filter water, to have something to put out fire, something to make fire if they need to. All those bases are covered so they can allocate bandwidth where they need to. You know, when when I was researching my book, The Lion's Gate, which was Mm -hmm. about the uh, 1967 Arab-Israeli War, the Six-Day War. Uh, I interviewed a bunch of Israeli fighter pilots. And I'm sure this is gonna be right up your street, Clint, as well as you, Jack. But how in preparing for a a mission, let's say a bombing mission that they had to do, they had to have a mental map of, they had to go, you know, X number of miles at X degrees at X altitude. Then they had to jig, do another leg, another leg, fly under this, over that, pull, invert, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And in their minds, 
before the the mission would go. They would run every possible negative contingency, you know, to, to uh, mental to imagery of what was going to right. theoretically happen. My engine happen. blows on takeoff or whatever yep. it is like that. And I think, you know, when I talk about the warrior mindset or something, that's what it is. Right. Well, that's a big, that's the mental part of the game. And I know that like Jack, in, in like in your life now as a writer, and tell me if I'm wrong, you'll sort of do a similar thing as you're, as you're starting a book, right? You really will kind of know, oh, I've got to run this leg like this or this leg like that. And if the shit hits the fan on such and such a thing, hopefully your your mindset is such that you've already run that scenario in your head and you're not going to panic when that happened. Am I, am I, no, right, I, when I right when I say that? And we did the same thing to, to you in a manner of speaking. When we were talking, we briefly talked about tactics. And I said, okay, I need for you to not be fearful. I so mentally image a problem like my house is on fire, so where's my fire extinguisher? As an example, or mentally image, we'll say a home invasion. One guy comes in the front door. That again, I reiterate, I absolutely don't believe it's paranoia. I think it's smart for you to consider that sometimes bad things happen to good people. I'm pretty sure in the towers, you know, no matter what everyone thinks about it, it's a conspiracy. It's not. It was this guy. It was that guy. Great. I don't care. What I care about is 3,000 people died. Okay. And a lot of people didn't know where the fire escapes or the fire steps were, you know, that they're opposite ends of the building. So like I'm over here, it's on fire. I got to go there to get out. In other words, we just kind of sort of sometimes blindly go through life you know, like, okay, I'm going to work, I'm at work, I'm going home. You go like, okay, great. Now you can't go home because the floor below you is on fire. So where's the steps at? And I, you know, it's the same thing literally in my mind's eye as what you're talking about with your children. You want to make them good citizens. You want to make them responsible. And they got to know where to get the hell out of the school, you know, mm -hmm. so to speak. So yeah. I want to arm them with as much knowledge and, as, sure. and much, not just knowledge, but wisdom accumulated over years based on past experience, based on failures, based on those lessons learned so that they can then be better citizens, better spouses better uh better just parents. a better human exactly there's and a dog you know a contributing human there's yeah. a concept so yeah no that's yeah. uh that's what all that uh, that is about but it's uh and I, but I don't, once again i don't want them to live paranoid but i want them to be aware, uh -huh. aware that there is such a thing there are dangers out there and if you can't blindly stumble through life i mean you can and you might come out the other side okay it's a possibility yeah um but it's not uh, for us anyway, it's yeah. not. The, and you, you the way don't know, you can go through 50 years and never get a, need a gun. Yep. I mean, you could go for 60 years. Well, here's a thought. You could go all the way to the end and yep. never need a gun. But then there's a lot of people that wish, oh, and of course, who do we call when we, oh, let's call the police. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And well, I like what you were saying today, Clint, about uh, life being a gift. And it's okay. your choice whether you're going to defend that yeah. gift or not. I can't rely on other people to do something for me that I'm not willing to do for myself. Mm -hmm. So like I always tell guys, there's nothing better than sleeping next to a hot chick every night who knows how to shoot better than you. How could you go <laughs> wrong with that? You know what I'm saying? And I get it. It's a bit clint, but it's, it's true. You know, I mean, what better than to have a partner? You know, when you were in the teams, you know, you want to know that all your people, when they went out the wire, you know, that everybody's locked, everybody's loaded, no one's got any rattles, no shakes, you know, everybody's mm -hmm. got the squelch right. I mean, we're all, in a manner of speaking, dependent on the next move, okay? You yeah. know, and, um, you know, it's the, the bad thing, and I think you'll agree with me, when you got done with your naval service, 
I always figured like now, being the age that I am, boy, I wish I would have known then what I know now. The way that I teach now, not that I'm better or good or cool or rad or whatever, the bomb, okay, or whatever that- <laughs> But you uh, are the bomb. Whatever, you are. Yeah, yeah, whatever that means. But I think, you know, like you go like, wow, if I would have known about shooting what I know now, mm. okay, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I think, but that's, I think that's part of, um, life. I think you go through stages. Like, you know, I always tell people when I left, you know, when I was 18 and I left home for Vietnam, you know, my dad was kind of a pain in the ass. You know, he was a 25 year street cop, you know, do this, don't do that. Don't, you know, whatever. But when I came home after my second tour in Vietnam, I think my dad must've went to England and got one of those road scholarly <laughs> things. Okay. Which I'm actually alluding to. My dad was always very uh -huh. smart. I was just young, I knew everything. You can't tell me anything. And every single one of us sitting here kind of did the same thing. You know what I'm saying? I so, don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And this guy here, too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you got back and then the next day, <laughs> yeah. you wake up and yeah. you come down, you've been shot in the chest and you've recovered. And, yeah. you've been, and, and your dad says, uh, when are you getting a job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> he, was a little, he was a little less abrasive than that. You know, good morning. Appreciate you. I'm glad you're home safe. And you're going to get a job when question mark. And I go, so that was Sunday morning. I go, uh, tomorrow, sir. Okay, right, so Monday. Like, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's all good. You know, I mean, and, and I, I don't know what that made me in the end. You know what I'm saying? You know, okay, what did, what, what did that do mindset wise? You know, I, uh, so you know that I did law enforcement in one form or another for 10 years. And then I got to a certain point from a teaching perspective, can I do more for this group of people who really don't want to do what you want to do? Or do I do more for people like Steven, okay? Who like, hey, I want to come. I want to, tell me something, show me something, yeah. okay? And, you know, my jokingly with you guys, both of you guys is great. Teach me everything you know about writing in three days and I'll teach you everything I know about shooting. One, two, three, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yep, it's all good. And Steven, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Clint was a, uh, a star on oh. 60 Minutes. Uh, uh, I heard a little what, bit about what that. What year was that, Clint? Um, I forget. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it was a couple of years back. 2000, I think, I think something. 2001, I think. Was it? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and so they came out, they went out, came out to Texas to talk specifically about, about snipers and snipers' role in uh, mostly law enforcement. I think it was geared mostly towards law yes, enforcement sir. snipers. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and yeah, that was a fast, you can find it. You can find the 60 uh, minutes and, and Clint hasn't, you'll see that Clint has not changed yeah. much. Was Morley did, Safer on there with, with uh, who was not, interviewing Not you? that one, but there was one of the other ones that are pretty well known. I forget who Mike it was Wallace? on there. Not Mike Wallace. Um, Heidi might remember, but. Uh, yeah. I forget who Jim it was. Stewart. Yeah, Jim Stewart. Oh. And, oh. and it, it, the, the best thing about this is this is a beautiful example. The, the producer yep. and the assistant producer, man and woman, nice people, little people, just tiny little people. <laughs> and they came from New York and very New York. They're smaller and, in New York. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, I mean, you know, whatever. They were just little people. Don't make you know any I mean? cracks about No, New no, York. no. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> so like um, they came and, you know, the blah, 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 sat down at lunch. How are you? You know, and so like, and not being being ugly, but I just kind of pumping the guy. Oh, oh, great, great. You have kids. Oh, okay. Oh, a new baby. That's awesome. You know, blah, 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 all that stuff. So we go out and I go like, before you can really make a production about snipers, which I always remember snipers generally have a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. And at the end of every war, we kind of shit on them. And then we make the whole thing go away. And then when the war starts, we need them again. This World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, and I mean it's easily documented. So I'm not being ornery. 
So anyways, a long story short, the guy, I go like, you got you to shoot the guns. So I put him up in the tower. We have a four-story tower. I put a target up. We got it like automatically controlled. And I get the guy down and I go like, lay here. You can't have a problem. Just target's going to come up and sit in the window. You're going to be good to go. And so the guy's all like, yeah, you know, I got this. Okay. And so when the safety's off and he puts his finger on the trigger and I can see his cuticle discolor. So he's starting to add pressure. I go like, oh, by the way, that's your daughter Susie being held hostage. And this guy pretty much pooped himself. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. And I go, yeah, see, there's part of the problem that you don't think about, okay? There's more to it than I just like flung a bullet downrange. You have to carry this suitcase with you, okay, for the rest of your life. Now, I didn't say, you know, if it's a bad man and he's killing people, then it's a suitcase that's carried lightly. But if you do something wrong and put a canoe rack through somebody's head that's not supposed to, and then it becomes a heavy suitcase. So anyways, the producer and the co-producer, when they came, um, the, the guy that was doing the interview, he was a little bit edgy with this, you know, it's TV, right? And the producer was going, you know, so this, I mean, they were on our side. They were defending it. It was awesome. You know, like the, we won them over right away. Uh -huh. And then oh, you yeah. got a good sound bite out of it. They got a great sound bite yeah, out of it. Yeah, and then, right. uh, then it went on yeah, the There are there. people who need to be shot. Bam. And there yeah. are. And they led with that. They, that was that was part of the preview right. for the for the episode. Uh -huh. Was that one right there? Uh -huh. But uh, and some of those other things we talked about yesterday about warrior archetype. I think it'd be fascinating to ask Clint a couple more of those while we have him attached uh -huh. to the to the machine here, um, because he has lived that life, even though, uh, and he has moved into that that phase as a, as a sage, as passing on on that wisdom, and he's been doing that for for quite some time, and he does it better than anybody else out there. Um, but he started as an 18 year old kid in the Marine Corps, uh, heading overseas, uh, staging in Okinawa, and then flying in to Vietnam. And getting shot over there, and then uh, coming home, and and uh, he did that twice. So, uh, so he's got some. He's got quite a few. He's got a lot of experience There's, in that realm. You know, the deal with is they go through this. You know, and um, I stand by what I say. You hear it many times, often. So I'm. It sounds like I'm repeating someone else, but the people who really paid the price are the people who gave everything. You know, there were people who didn't want to be there. It wasn't a popular war. Why is war popular anyways? At least in World War II, we had a clearly defined enemy, for lack of better terminology. Yeah. There, you know, um, so I always kind of think first, just like you've been to my range, you know, we honor people from all branches of service, okay, um, from all of the service. And um, this now is just my job. And I've been lucky. Steven, uh, uh, yeah, Steven, okay. Gates of Fire, Steven. Mm -hmm. uh, he was an 0311 too. Yeah. So for those who don't know, that's a grunt. Uh, we're infantrymen. Okay. So like, um, 1965, back when it was yeah, hard. Yeah, right. Back when it was hard. Let me ask you a, a, a little, a little more basic question here. Okay. So uh, since you do train with weaponry, as opposed, you know, like somebody like me, I've been through the last, you know, 50 years of my life without a weapon. Never right. even really thought about it because I sort of thought, well, if the shit hits the fan, I'll call the police or something like that, right? right. Um, but your attitude has, has, has been a different thing. Let me ask you this. Do you have a dark view of the human race, of human nature? Do you think people are, that there's a, a force of evil out there that we're dealing with constantly and need to be aware of? I think there's evil in the world. And I, I think that it needs to be addressed at every time and place you can find it. And I don't necessarily say we go hunting for it. 
but I don't think we should back up from it when we find it. Uh-huh. And you, we always need to remember, okay, the thing is somebody goes like, oh, you're an old guy, you know, you're a white guy, you're an American. You always have to remember the other side thinks they're right. They believe you're evil. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of that is going to be interpretation, you know, like, okay, what really is evil? Okay, I mean, you know, like, um, you know, as well as other, you, you actually have, like, family, you know, like you and I mentioned today or yesterday, the ghetto in Warsaw in World War II. Mm-hmm. That environment is an evil environment. It needs to be fixed, okay? Um, the rape of Nanking. Okay, now... Okay, the napalming of villages in Vietnam by America. So who's the bad guy uh-huh. there, right? You know, did we actually as Americans screw Ho Chi Minh, okay, after he helped us fight the Japanese, then we gave his country back to the French. So evil, yes. Then it becomes who interprets what. So as you well know, as well as anyone, a lot of times who writes the history decides who's evil. So, you know, uh, I don't know. For me personally, yes, I believe there's evil. I don't know that it's clearly defined as one particular individual or entity. No, and I think that when I see it, I know it. Uh-huh. And I think that if I saw it and there was an ability to address it, um, shall we say, safely, you know, making sure that Heidi wasn't in any way, then I think that I would address that. But I personally now, for you and I, with our seniority, uh-huh. mostly the idea of evil would be to back up and be smart. Uh-huh. Okay? You know, now we get to the thing where I went from carrying a gun for the last 50 years, where you went for 50 years without one. I don't think I need to use the gun. I think I don't need to be uh-huh. subjected to the whims of uh-huh. other people without my permission. So you're going to have to rely on the police in theory, no disrespect, uh-huh. And I don't have to rely on it if I don't want to. Uh-huh. I'd rather call the police than I don't have to fill out paperwork. So, but yes, but let me, it becomes- Let me ask you another question. Okay. That's okay? Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. I love it. Uh, I know that your dad was, uh, you know, flew a million bombing missions in World War II. 42. That, that your family, uncles, grandfather, stuff yes, like sir. that. Do you, when you went into the Marine Corps, um, did you feel that you were carrying on uh, a family tradition or that you were doing what was expected of, of a man, of a... Uh, well, my mother didn't like it, I can tell you that. <laughs> I mean, if she That's, crawled out well, of the grave right happens, now, she would yeah. punch you out. I think that... Uh, I, I think that words, I th- what I'm asking you, oh, how much is right. how much is it comes out of the family? How much is it father I, I to think, son, father yes. to son? I think it's appropriate. So my dad flew 42 missions in the Pacific as a nose gunner in B-24s. My grandfather served in World War One. And then he re-enlisted in World War II, but he was too old uh-huh. to go into combat. So he was a, an engineer. And so like at Camp Claiborne, Louisiana, they built barracks. And in other words, he was, in, he was a carpenter, okay? Uh-huh. But he still signed up. I think that when I was 18 years old, I wasn't necessarily a mental giant, not that it's improved much, <laughs> but I, I thought that, okay, this is my country. My country is in conflict. And like I said, Here's the other part of it. 25, 30 years later, you learned that there actually was no Gulf of Tonkin. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we basically flushed a whole bunch of people down a toilet on a theoretical domino theory, and then we're not going to get into the political side of it. But you get my point. But at that time, 18 years old, 
I, yes, uh-huh. I did what my family did. Uh-huh. So you know, just when I came home and became a, a police officer, my dad was, my brother was, my uncle was, we were everything police, but Irish. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And you would know that from uh-huh. New York. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. like, but yeah, I think so. And I don't, um, I've never, you know, I have two sons and I never expected, anticipated, or did I ever guide or nurture my, my children towards that. Um, and it's not that they broke the chain, so to speak. I just think that um, I did what I could. You make your decision. You decide whether or not you do or don't want to do that. And at that particular time of their youth, you know, during the 70s and 80s, they were either very young or by the time we got done, then there was no desert war yet. You know what I'm saying? So they, they were in that bracket, that 20-year bracket. And usually, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the cycle, like a generation. So kind of, it skipped a generation. I mean, I guess they could have at older ages went and listed, you know, after 9-11, a lot uh-huh. of people did. Okay. You know, I mean, um, so, I mean, Heidi would like, if you make her a PJ, she'll go today. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. she can jump out of helicopters and I stuff. I have another so. question yes, sir. for you, Clint. Yes. Now, I know that you have uh, referred to Jack as your baby seal. Yeah. And that part of the time you were helping to train him, even though he was already very proficient at his skills, helping to hone his skills. Yes. If you could, I mean, thinking of Jack as a son, let's say, and and you wanted the absolute best for him, yes. not just in terms of training or anything like that. If you could impart three virtues to him that would carry him forward in his life, I know it's a tough question. Oh. What would they be? I think uh, uh, integrity, honor, and I think that he uh, should have resolve. And he, in a fashion, is my son. Uh-huh. And I've had discussions about things that are personal and not appropriate to this podcast. Uh-huh. Um, that, you know, well, what do you think about this? And I go, I think you already know the answer. And you want me to confirm it for you? And I don't have to do that because you already know the answer. Uh-huh. So, you know. Well, uh, let me say those three okay. things you said, integrity, honor, and resolve, I would say are warrior virtues. Yes. But let me, let me ask you this. How would you define honor in terms of giving it to, you know, or imparting it to Jack for his benefit going As a forward? warrior? As a, as a human being, as a father, as a husband, as a writer, as a human being. A citizen. Okay, I have to think about it just a second. I think uh, honor. I I think honor is your ability to not necessarily know the difference between right and wrong, but be able to, as you approach something, decide what would be the honorable thing to do. Do I help the little lady across the street, or do I just let her drag her own bum leg Uh across the street? I Uh think honor. If we have an enemy, we kill him but we don't necessarily lop their ears off, okay? Or dangle, you know, all the stuff that the Hollywood wants you to think about. Uh-huh. I, I think if we're gonna, if it's, what we're, if we're in it to win, then let's win. If we kill them, we kill them, okay? You know, if they want to surrender, I don't shoot them, okay? I mean, you know, all the stuff that we know. I mean, the Germans did it to the Americans and the Americans did it to the Germans and the Japanese absolutely did it to the Americans, okay? So as far as like, you know, um, shoving guys in a trench, filling it full of fuel and burning them alive. Yeah, yeah. But that's not an honorable move, in my opinion. But so I think- there's definitely an ethical, moral dimension to your definition There of should honor. be. That's the thing that separates us from evil. Uh-huh. I think that, you I know- I would agree with you. I'm completely right, right. No, in the no, boat. I, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's, that's the thing that separates us from evil, that we, if we, you know, if we have some, just like, you know, in Vietnam, you know, we shot people, we 
found people that were the enemy, you know, uh, you know, it's just, but to the best of my knowledge, I never in my service there saw a Marine, you know, shoot someone that was already down. And uh-huh. I, ne- I never saw that. Uh-huh. God is my witness. I, and I did see Marines render aid to people who were wounded. Okay. And um, I can't say the same thing for the other side. Now, were the, was there, were there things that were done wrong there? Yeah, there's always something uh-huh. done wrong. That's why it's called a war. Uh-huh. People misbehave. Okay, they do bad things. Okay, so that's probably why there's a war. You know what I mean? You know, it starts over in theory. You poked me in the eye and you stole this piece of dirt and, you know, it belongs to me. And, you know, so, uh, but uh, yeah, I, th- I, 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 I think the fact that uh, um, you simply need and I think that is one thing about America. We do have a sense of fair. Now, again, that's interpretation. Uh-huh. You know, was it fair to use arc lights in Vietnam? Probably not. But then again, well, so what's fair? I bring another hundred American caskets home. So if you ask me uh-huh. if I'm going to arc light, okay, something, will it be 52 or bring another hundred Americans home in boxes? I'm arc lighting the bitch. You go like, well, that's good. And then you're right. Then I'm evil by your perception. But my perception is I'm not losing another hundred Americans. You know, I mean, let's face it, not being ugly or political, but, you know, we went to Kuwait. We did all the desert things. And I would kind of go like, uh, could it be that three-letter word oil? Okay. <laughs> Where when a million and a half Cambodians were slaughtered by Pop Hot, we didn't do anything. And, of course, no one wanted to go to Southeast Asia. You and I mentioned this briefly. Okay. So, yeah. like, there again are we evil because we didn't help humanity? You know, but we did the same thing in Somalia. Okay. You know, we went there to other places. Yeah. Yeah. We're starting to stop starvation. Okay. And so then someone gets carried away, you know, and then it turns into a tornado and then you bring home 19 caskets and, you know, two medals of honor, which, yeah, I don't know. Let me pull you back to what you said before, where the the third thing that you would impart to Jack, if you could, was resolve. Right. Can you talk yeah, about that I don't, for a second? I personally don't think that life is easy. Um, you know, like I said, uh, in a manner of speaking with uh, nothing ugly, he kind of asked my son, we're the age that it could be appropriate. Uh-huh. And so, like, uh, I like that he has the fact that he has resolved. He's made decisions that affected his career that were decisions that favored inside, in, in favor of his family. And people go like, well, you know, if you're a SEAL, you should. Yeah, I got it. But he still has a family. He's a father first. So I think the resolve is the resolve to understand that his commitment to his wife and his three children, that is his first priority. Now, that said, the reason he had the resolve to be a SEAL for 20 years was to protect his family. So he's on one end of the stick with resolve to protect them. But the other end of resolve is rather than taking a position, which would be, we'll just say as an imaginary thing with a non-disclosure, I could be maybe an officer in a very high ranking SEAL organization. Okay. But to do that, I have to leave my family. Mm -hmm. I have to move my family. I have to. And um, so, yeah, he has resolve. He's made wise decisions and he's stuck to them even though they're hard. So sometimes the resolve issue is you have to make hard decisions and then you just live with them. Uh-huh. Okay. So 
Jack, and that's honored. Would how would you define resolve in your in your life going forward? Yeah, it, so I, I think of resolve the same way or similar uh, in a similar way. I think of resiliency and getting back up after you get knocked down. And I think about this daily because that's the one thing that connects all of us, no matter who we are, anywhere across the world. We're going to get knocked down. Doesn't matter what race you are, what religion you are, and how much money you have. It doesn't matter. You're going to get hit. You're going to go down. And we talked about this before, but what defines your character is how you get back up and move forward. Not just getting back up and going forward, but how you get back up and keep moving forward. For, so for me, having that resolve and having that, uh, that front sight focus on where you need to go, but also doing it in an appropriate way. Uh -huh. a way that uh that is appropriate for you your family uh that hopefully makes them better people and you are that example to them they're looking to you and especially uh -huh. in this time of coronavirus and everything else we're dealing with those kids are seeing things and there is you can't just turn off yeah. that tv quick enough for them not to hear what's going on or see things burning on tv uh or whatever it may be and even if you do that they're getting things on social media even through the video games they play people are talking that sort of thing so as a parent you have a choice and you can either, if you weren't prepared ahead of time the way you discuss that with your spouse is important. The kids can see you in that kitchen talking to each other like, oh, I don't know how we're going to pay this mortgage. Uh, I don't know how we're going to pay this rent. Oh my gosh, there was no food at the grocery store this week. I don't know what we're going to uh, do. Or they can hear you say, you know what? We, we weren't as prepared as we could have been. What we can do here <laughs> is going forward, we can have a better financial foundation so that if something happens, we're good for a few months. And you know what we should also do? We should have some food in this house going forward. <laughs> and we, we did what we could. We have some canned stuff up there, but we can do this better. And that's the same exact situation, but the kids process both those things differently. One is scared, not taking action. The other is positive, looking at something and figuring out, oh, how can we do this better? Um, so you have that, or... Maybe you did prepare. And uh -huh. what they're listening to is uh -huh. parents talking about, you know what? We are good. We have this many months here financially. 500 loaded magazines. We, exactly. <laughs> we are all set. And it confirms to them like, oh, this is yeah, why this dad is why did we this. did all that this stuff. This is why we have, yeah, yeah, this is why we have these guns. That's why dad goes and trains. That's why we go hunting together. That's why we have that water. That's why we have these fire extinguishers. Instead of them just rolling their eyes at dad or rolling their eyes at mom. No. Now I get it. So uh -huh. there's different, you're going to get dealt cards uh -huh. and you, then you can play those cards. Uh -huh. You have to play those cards. You have to play them as best you can. Uh -huh. And, uh, and of course we're all going to get hit and we're all going to have to keep moving forward. So that to me, that's resolved. Uh -huh. yeah. and particularly these days, the whole country, the whole world is being hit with stuff, you know? Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Well, and the, the intriguing part about this is you and I are of an age. We've seen this before. We did this, yeah. you and I. Yeah. So like when people go like, what do you think? And I go, I don't think anything. Uh, I think of basically a bunch of punks. Uh, I mean, literally, <laughs> we did this in the 70s, man. You know, when I came out of Vietnam, out of the jungle in Vietnam and went into law enforcement, we stepped right out of one grinder into another one. You know, and it was like, yeah, I got it. You know, it's like, you know, civil just, no, it's breaking the law. It's not civil disorder. You're breaking the law. You can't burn and loot and pillage and plunder. And I don't want to get too far into it, but you get my point. Yeah. But Stephen and I have seen this before. So when we sat here and go like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Now pandemic. No, we know had to walk around with a mask on our face. Okay. And wash your hands every 13 seconds. And that's a new one for me. I kind of mm -hmm. go, damn, that's pretty cool. But I go like, oh, okay, well, this is cool. That's another, it's not in my bucket list. I mean, I was in the study hall when he came over and said, you know, the president's been assassinated when John Kennedy got shot. You know, I, we saw the man on the moon in black and white. Okay, I mean, you know, it's awesome. We've lived, I mean, you know, um, 
my wife, you know, went to Woodstock. I went to Vietnam, you know, we've done, this is all cool. We've done all this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally we've done it all. And so like people go like, what do you think? I don't think anything. Well, what do you think we should do? I think it, they're breaking the law. So what do you do when they break the law? Do you enforce the law or do you turn into anarchy? You have to decide. Well, if we do the law, then maybe we'll have something like Kent State. Yes, tragedies happen. We also had the World Trade Center. So somewhere in there, then there's balance of trying to not have anarchy, but have law and order. Mistakes are made. You know, um, presidents resign. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, yeah. you and I can remember, Clint, you know, right. not just, we can remember ducking and covering under our desk, our school desk. <laughs> sure, right. Atomic bomb. Right. Right. bomb right. Yeah. Was you remember coming, the right? hula hoop? Yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, so, hula hoop. But I mean, I just uh, want to ask the you. The plastic, uh, plastic hoop where the kids put it around <laughs> their waist. And the, oh, the hula. I thought hula. you meant there was something. As no, no, no. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Like, like the Cold War. And oh, then. no, no. Yeah, well, see, and that's the thing. If we're going to like remember this stuff, why not have a smile on your face and go, yeah, I ducked under the desk. That was awesome. We were all under the <laughs> desk going, what the hell? And then they go like, oh, let's get up and go play hula hoop at the playground. You know what I mean? You go like, wait a minute, that guy's like nuts. And I kind of go like, yeah, you remember Etch-A-Sketch, okay? You, I mean, you, uh, yeah. yeah, there is the well, slinky. What I wanted to ask you though yeah, okay. was, is it worse now than it was then? Have things yeah. changed quali qualitatively? You think it's just the same? It's just going on and on and on. It's the same. It's the same ideology. We want shit for free and we want people to give up stuff. At least here's, here's a good, Tom Hayden. He was a member of the SDS. He's in California. Uh -huh. I hate the government. All you guys suck. Okay, you're, I, we need to burn America. Then when he got elected, okay, uh, to a, a senator or whatever and they have in California, flying around in his jet, everything was okay. So uh, half of the people who are going around burning other people's stuff right now, 25 years from now, we're going to be riding around in some sort of speedo thing, okay, like Star Wars, you know, uh, loaded to the gills with money, <laughs> talking about all the peasants. And you kind of go like, well, wait a minute. That works. Yeah, you didn't really, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of confused here. You, you thought everything in America was ter terrible. You wanted to burn it all. And now you're part of the problem. <laughs> Well, I would take issue with yeah. you there, Clint. Yeah. Maybe we don't want to do this on yeah, the podcast. Right, right. But I don't know Tom Hayden, but I would say that he probably, if he were here now, yeah. I mean, he died, right? Thank God. But he would probably <laughs> say that, okay, now I'm in Congress. Yeah, and what I'm trying to do now is I thought things were unfair before. I thought that there was uh, injustice in the world before, and that's why I was protesting. Sure. So and we're gonna, now I'm inside the system, right. and I'm going to try to do what I can to address. Right. So I, I think that's what he would I, say. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I don't think that he went, uh, I don't know about him personally, but well, certainly plenty of people have flipped from being outside mm. to being in the Cadillac and enjoying themselves. Mm, but yeah. uh, also I think it's legitimate like that sometimes Conley. people try to change the system from the outside yeah. and then they try to change it from the inside. Sure. And I think that's, I'm not arguing that, but when you get to a certain point, like the one you have now in California, lucky guy. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> so we should let all these people break the law, come here without going through the process. And then we're going to give them all money. And people go like, well, you know, they're poor. No, I'm not. I, you want to help poor people? I got it. No country in the world does more to help other people than this country. I agree with that. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That is 100%. I mean, we're not you, perfect. Definitely not perfect. No, 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 no. I get <laughs> but, it. And uh, I never said we were perfect. Yeah, yeah, but no, I get like, it. you know, every time somebody's starving, every time there's a tsunami, you know, mm -hmm. something goes wrong. Yeah. You can always count on America to show up.
Yep. Okay. Or I'll give you another. You know, you see, you go over to uh, Normandy and the beaches there, sure. and you go to the the uh, cemeteries. I think of, we showed up all those Americans. What other country has done that? Sure. You, know, well, you don't you, see Russian no, over here that they no. helped to defend us for anything. It never no. even crossed their mind. And, so, and and we have this sense of kindness. So, like, if you fly at the right altitude over Iwo Jima, the island, one end of it looks white. The white are the crosses of all the people who died there. Okay. And yet... In 1968, we decide, well, it is part of the Japanese island, so we'll give it back. Mm. Uh, I'm kind of thinking that maybe Russia, you know, even though it broke up, it sure wasn't giving any countries back. And if they could, everyone said here, look me in the face and tell me they wouldn't take the Ukraine, Poland, everything back if they could get it. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. And it's not that, I, and I'm not being you know negative or ugly or anything. I'm just saying, we have a sense of doing pretty good. And then we have a sense of helping people. And then I always think it's funny when one side is got like, let's burn everything. And then when we burn it, then a little bit later on, we go like, hey, you know, and I go like, really? You're talking to me about like emissions and I can't drive my car in California, but I'm going to fly over here in my jet and land. And kind of go like, okay, never mind. So I'll, get, yeah. I'll stop. No, the hypocrisy stuff is that. Uh, that's yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. gets most people. Sure. The and then, you know, and, and as the older guy, and, you know, and I don't disagree. I, you know what I mean? And I absolutely admit that I could be wrong. I absolutely. But I, I, you know, you see sort of, shall we say, trace evidence of this. <laughs> you kind of go like, wait a minute. Okay. Don't I know you from somewhere else? Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And in taking it back to what we, we talked about a little while ago about uh, Clint being at that, at that stage, the sage, uh, passing on those lessons. Uh -huh. um, I mean, there are things that, that, you, that I got from Clint that I was didn't get from the military um, that were very important to the training and the deployments that I went on to be very specific about that. It is what differentiates us from the enemy and what does differentiate us from the enemy is how we treat our prisoners. Mm -hmm. So if you get captured over there, you could be expected to get zipped into some sort of an orange jumpsuit and get beheaded on uh, on video on that CNN, goes yeah. around the world. Yeah. Um, so we have to maintain the moral high ground. And that's not just the military, it's law enforcement as well. Sure. But in the military, very easy for a young person, 18 years old, to come in, they'll go through all this training, uh, it's special operations, let's use that, and then they're downrange, and then all of a sudden, an IED goes off and kills their best friend, two of their best friends, and now we have the guy who we think did it, and it's in the middle of the night, we just hit him hours later, and we have him, and he's cuffed, and he's in the corner of this room, and now, what? Well that's not the time for that kid to be thinking, what should I do? Um, Let I, me I, ask you, Jack. That's in, not the time. In the it, SEALs and... It's in the training. It's all throughout they, that training. They, I'm just curious. Is there like a class in ethics and uh, restraint or is there? There was not. There was a, a JAG who was a military attorney uh -huh. who would stumble Basically over at some you. point right, yeah, right. <laughs> and give a brief and where half the people are probably uh -huh. thinking about other things at the time and uh -huh. just want to get out of that classroom and move on and they're going through rules of engagement and maybe when you get overseas, maybe somebody does it again over there, but maybe half of the people are gone, working on a truck, getting uh -huh. ready, doing a brief somewhere else, I'm not really thinking about these things because uh, it doesn't really, it's not this, it's not going in, it's not blowing up doors, it's not going uh -huh. in, it's just this, this brief well huh. the leader that that senior enlisted leader that e5 mafia that junior officer those are the ones that are 
they're the tactical battlefield leaders that need to talk about maintaining mm -hmm. that moral high ground throughout the training and continually when you're downrange. So you, that, there are very few things that differentiate us from the enemy. When you look Theoretically, at, they should have gotten it. that cornerstone as Americans That's from their right. parents. That's correct. That honor, that integrity, that idea of behaving properly, okay, should come from that. That's and I, you know, we don't have to get into like who did and who does it has a dad and who doesn't. I'm saying that I think that some of the foundation for that comes from the family unit, the way you're raised. You know, um, I knew the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. Okay. When I was growing up, and the difference is my dad, in theory, okay, it never happened because I'm a smart guy and learn quick. My dad would have been like the enforcer on the hockey team. You dig this up, you get a puck in the mouth. You uh -huh. know what I'm saying? So, but I think that foundation would be helpful, you know, and I, I absolutely know we didn't get anything like that when we were, were young Marines in 1967. Yeah. You know, we were close with them, cut them and kill them. I yeah. mean, you know, that was always a thing. Um, so I think that integrity, that, that honor, that the way that you handle yourself, I think that that comes like, used to, I think it's very important for like the NCOs. I think, you know, the, the cornerstone of like, in my mind's eye, the cornerstone of the Marine Corps in Vietnam in 1967 were E-4s. Yep. The corporals were the enforcers. You're gonna do this, we're doing it this way. And I got it, you know, like when I was in full-blown infantry units, like, you know, um, like 0311 and Mike 33. Um, then we, you know, you had officers, you had a gunnery sergeant, but we like, I was in combined action platoons. So small groups, and to be honest with you, when you're a small group, Okay, and you get tight, then you can get grumpy if someone messes with you. So then there's where you got to have someone step up and go, no, we're not doing that. We're not cutting their ears off. You know, you're not doing inappropriate things to female prisoners. And I don't mean fornication. I mean, other weird shit. Okay, so like, you know what I'm saying? And I think that that's where someone's got to step up. But aren't we talking really maybe about how human beings are raised? Oh yeah. Regardless no, of, you know, because you, you, we both know there are honorable Germans, honorable Russians, honorable Vietnamese. And, yeah. and I, I'm going to stop there so I don't get in too much trouble. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, no, my point being is that, right. that in training, it shouldn't be the first time that that right. 18, 19, 20 year old kid is thinking about this when he's left alone with someone that just killed two of his best friends Absolutely. in a dark room in the uh, middle of the night in uh, Ramadi, Iraq or something like that. But the same thing, that's what differentiates us right there is that once that person is flex cuffed, in the military, so we'd flex cuff them. Um, our job now is to actually give our life to protect that person. That is what differentiates us from the enemy. And same thing here, law enforcement. Yes, yeah, uh, there's, there's when they are cuffed, they're not cuffed. You know, you got to do your thing. But once they are cuffed and on that curb, you know what? Law enforcement's job is to protect that guy now. Same thing. That's what makes us different as Americans. So if you just chase a guy for sixty miles at a hundred miles an hour, okay, he's run a bunch of stuff. And this one I will admit to, I didn't do it. And I admit I didn't do it, but I've seen a guy sort of not get his head far enough down when he was handcuffed being put in the cage car, you know, bunk out, you know, like, yeah, but you're still dealing with humans. There's the emotions, you know, and people, if some people, some people, and you know it, think if they can get away with something, they will, or try to, you know, and that goes for, in theory, what we would call the good guy, you go, well, we can't have that in law enforcement. Law enforcement people are not perfect. Yeah, same with not military. Not every writer is perfect. Not every priest is perfect. Not every surgeon is perfect, okay? You know, so this then becomes, falls back, I think, on individuals. You need to set a standard 
for yourself on how I'm going to behave in life. And it can be kind of reinforced if by who you associate with. Oh, yeah. In other words, if I hang around good people, it's like a computer. I put good stuff in, I get good stuff out. But if I'm a trash bag, you know, then sometimes, you know, it's yep. just that way. So I think, you know, like this is a good thing. And it's like me, when we have students at the school, I vet these people. I know who they are. I don't have just some, oh, that guy is, you know, he was like last week, he was sticking up to 7-Eleven. No, 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 no. Okay. Now, can they leave here and turn into something else? Sure. Charlie Whitman turned into something else. The shooter at the Texas Tower mm-hmm. in Austin. You know, the brain tumor changed the dynamics. Of how that, yeah, that's, and that's a physical change. So, you know, we go, that guy's really evil. Yeah, but he was a good guy right up until the time that the brain tumor pushed enough that something went wrong, you know? And uh, how do you fix that? But I think back to what you're saying, we need to teach people that when they have the guy in the flex cuffs, we're not, you know, banging their head on the car, you know, like, hey, that was cute, okay, uh, et cetera. So yeah, banging head in the car, I get that one, but no, it's, it's yeah, more, yeah. it's more in, in general. I mean, yeah, that, that, but it's that, the as, same concept. Yeah. yeah. No, our I job sh- is now to protect that. I guy. should still be yeah. honorable. Okay. Yeah. This is my job. That's why I've been entrusted with the badge. Okay. The community believes that I will do the right thing. Once we've affected the arrest in the sense of like, we might need physical force to put the cuffs on. Great. Once we have the cuffs, then it ends. Yeah. Put them in the car, take them somewhere else. And, you know, know, one thing that did happen to me as a policeman, I did chase the guy. I did catch the guy. I did handcuff the guy. I did walk him back out of the woods where we kind of went. And when I, he was a young kid, like 16, 17. Okay. And um, his dad comes sliding up the car, jumps out of the car, comes up and busts him right in the face. I mean, it was no, no, hi, how are you? No, nothing. I mean, it was just like, uh, really? Okay. So then you go, awesome. Guess what, sir? You're under arrest. So you and your son get to go to jail. Oh, wow. You can't, and people go like, well, why would you do that? And I go like, because it was my job to protect him because I had incarcerated him. He's now my responsibility. It's sort of like a baby, only he's in handcuffs. So I can't have you hitting him in the face because when he goes in and sees the judge tomorrow, mm. I don't want to have a big shiner and go like, yeah, I busted him in the eye, your honor. Yeah. Okay. Right. There we go. So there we go. Yeah. Very, so, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly. But that's, so yeah, they're, they're very, sometimes there are very few things that differentiate us from right. the enemy. So there has to, we have to maintain that moral high ground, I think. Yep. And I'll say one other thing, just in, yep. in the sense of uh, the um, global concept of democracy or a constitutional republic, you know, when that is going in just what you guys are just saying right now. And I read this. I'm not, this is not something I thought of myself. I just read this. Darn. It's uh, uh, that there actually are two elements to a country like America, a constitutional republic. One is democracy, and the other is what, what they call, this is a bad word, it's not going to be right, liberal, liberalism in the sense Correct. of that a democracy, when it's the rule, can become the tyranny of the majority. Yes like what's happening in Hungary and places like that now. In other words, whoever's got the upper hand, the gun, which could be the so cop, could be the guy who's got the, the flex cuff guy, they can just do whatever they want. you know. And usually it's, it takes take it out on a minority. But the other half, the other pillar that holds everything up is the, the concept that was in the Bill of Rights, the protection of the weak, the protection of the people that are out of power at the moment. And like they would, the, this writer, I forgot his name, was saying that you can have uh, 
a democracy that's the tyranny of, of the majority and doesn't have this, and that's worse than anything else. Or you can have a place where there's respect of for the for the minority, but it's not a democracy. It's like it could be a, a monarchy. It could be right. a king or something like right. that. And America is supposedly, I mean, they wrote the Constitution. They said, well, there's something missing. And they added the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights really is the protection of the minority, that I can't go into your house without a warrant. You get to speak I, freely. You know, if you I, get to own a gun right, if you, you want to you get to own yourself, a gun. Right? You get to publish a newspaper and Absolutely. nobody's going to take you off the air. And I think that right now, maybe we're in America, maybe the, the, the tyranny of the majority is starting to come in and, and we're chipping away at this other pillar. But that the, the writer was making the point that we're really not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic, and it's built on the, on the two pillars. So it's like what you guys were saying. It's up to the cop to take care of the person that right. he has in Absolutely. custody and the SEALs to take care of this guy that just shot your two best friends. Yeah. And that's what separates us, hopefully, Americans, from other. Well, the deal is, is we're supposed to support the weak. I mean, what does it say on the Statue of Liberty? You know, yeah, give me weak. your. It's weak. Yeah. Right. And I mean, so yeah. there's this warp. So, like, the problem with it is now is definitions, too. If someone goes liberal, right away you go, oh, that's some commie bastard. You know, there's like, that's not necessarily true. They may see things differently than me. They may walk up to me like, Today, if they did, and they go like, I don't think you should have a gun. I go, you're entitled to your opinion. Now, 20 years ago, I would have argued that. But this is where this balance is. Uh -huh. You know, I don't want this side. I don't want martial law. I don't want the National Guard to have to go downtown Minneapolis to make that street safe for people to go. But I also don't think we should, like, burn stuff down and tear other mm -hmm. people's property up. And so, I, like you said, I think now we talked about it. Where are we as a society, America, like in relationship to like the Roman Empire? I think that we're on this sort of teeter-totter. Not good, not bad. You know, the world's not coming to an end. You know, it's not Armageddon. But I think that all of us need to maybe take a half a step back and go, okay, I get it. Maybe we should have illegal immigrants come because their countries are worse. You know, but could we do a thing where we can, you know, check them as far as uh, do you have tuberculosis? You know, when we were kids, mm -hmm. you got a polio shot. Mm -hmm. we, in other words, if we're going to accept people, we need to make sure that these people, it's like a pandemic, so to speak. Okay. We need to make sure that, okay, great. Can we keep Stephen safe? I'm not denying you a home. Now, I'm pretty sure Stephen doesn't want this guy to move into his house in the spare room. So see, therein lies a balance too. Okay. In other words, who's going to give up what to kind of do that? It's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, so things we're going to wrestle with for quite some time. Yeah. And I think we have for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think that's it. This may be that teeter totter of good versus evil. Do we tip too far where now the tyranny sort of starts in? Where now the other side that we theoretically don't like mm -hmm. is actually right. You know, like, okay, maybe yeah, we should do something. You know, so, I mean, there's this teeter-totter of how we do it. And I think, without being condescending, I think you're the kind of person that we're looking for to, okay, how do we balance this? You know, you're always a little bit softer than me. And I don't mean soft like weak. You're just like, okay, we need to tone it down a bit because we're setting <laughs> the room on fire, Clint. Okay, so, yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome, though. I think that's life. You know what I mean? It's, it makes life exciting. 
Okay. You know, just, you just have to choose wisely and, you know, kind of think about stuff. So that's the key right there. Choosing wisely. Yeah. yeah. And if awesome. you don't learn it from those lessons so that uh, <laughs> your kids can hopefully choose wisely. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think we're going to start wrapping it up. And as we do, uh, Thunder Ranch, people can find Thunder Ranch at Thunder Ranch Inc. on the social channels and, and thunderranchinc.com. Uh, and if you have not been here, uh, and if you own a firearm, if you've thought of coming here, or you've thought of getting, you thought maybe I need a little more training, uh, or even during these last few months, you thought, uh, oh, I had this, I had this pistol or this rifle in the safe for years or my dad gave it to me and maybe i should really learn how to use that thing well check out thunder ranch safely exactly check out thunder ranch <laughs> responsibly come up yeah. here uh this is what they do all day every day all year around you'll not find uh a better group of people thank you person we appreciate than, it uh, than clint smith to come train with it cost me twenty dollars so, <laughs> and and stephen pressfield has uh where can people find you um at Amazon, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yes. uh, no, my website is just my name, www.stephenpressfield.com. And then the social channels, same uh, thing? Yeah, same thing, you know. There we go, and getting uh, much more active on Instagram yeah, these, these yeah. days. <laughs> and uh, and what's the- uh, what, I learned it all from you, Jack. Nah, <laughs> I'm working, I'm working. Uh, I'm trying to learn too. Uh, the latest book out, what was, the, what was the latest in both the series on creativity and then the, the, the novels? Uh, in the novels, it's a, of a book called 36 Righteous Men. And in the books on creativity, it's uh, the artist's journey that I still have to get to you. Right. And right. uh, so thanks, Jay. I was like Absolutely. glancing over there's uh, Austin. And so since it's his podcast, I would say that you need to pay attention to Jack Carr. He's not up and coming. He is there, okay? Now we just need to get him to punch out more stuff, okay? The great thing about this dude, I've known him for two decades, uh, and I get it. It's his podcast. It could sound like a commercial. It's not. Everyone knows I'm not a commercial guy. But when you read the books, there will be commentaries like, well, that was too much detail. And that's because he's meticulous and he's done it. What he's writing about, he's done. When you write about something you've done and you know your subject matter, then it's easy for you to write. Not, not like in the sense of like, hey, you wrote a book in a day. But it's easy to write when you base what you're writing on your life experiences. And I think that's the thing that's going to make this guy like keep climbing and climbing and climbing. You know, the terminal list, you know, with the first, the savage son was the last. Um, and we're writing based on a life experience, not some bullshit Hollywood finger on the trigger pointing at my foot kind of stuff. So, and yes, uh, I did not get paid for that. This dude is like awesome. Like I said, I've known him for a long time. We teased him about being the baby steal. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was enlisted and then uh, became an officer. And I, I absolutely, as a corporal of Marines, would have been honored to serve under him uh, as a major um, well, they call them something else in the Navy, but they're majors to me. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Okay. So, but Thanks, so it's, uh, it's awesome people to like, you just got, it's one of, you got to read them. Okay. You just got to read them. That's it. Oh, so, thank you, Clint. Much yep. appreciated. Yeah. And thank you for having us. Thank you for hosting us. Yep. It's been a great few days and uh, we'll get back and do it again soon. All right. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much. Thank okay. you guys appreciate so much. It. Take yep. care. Thank you for tuning in to this special round table edition of the Danger Close podcast with Clint Smith and Stephen Pressfield. Be sure and check them both out, stephenpressfield.com and thunderranchinc.com. And once again, if you have not been up to train with Clint Smith at Thunder Ranch, get that on the schedule immediately. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can check out the things that I have going on at officialjackcar.com. You can find the merch at jackcarusa.com and you can pre-order In the Blood, the fifth novel in the James Reese saga, which hits uh, shelves on May 31st of 2022. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until the next time, take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you... do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy or <laughs> right, right. An How, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm-hmm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.